Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. On today's episode, I welcome Yaya Erin Rivera to speak about her, her life experience. I just follow her uh, through her stories and expressions and learn some things along the way. I was born in North America, and North America is filled with these invisible electrical fences and these landmines, these energetic landmines. But, uh, you know, maybe part of that early training was to like sniff them out from a distance. And that has become almost like a way of finding places that are wild and free and just navigating along those tendrils. Uh, and that's how I found an ability to express myself. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast, where we discuss every aspect of life through the lens of somatic psychology, nutrition, and self-inquiry. My name's Luis Mojica, and I'm a somatic educator who teaches people how to find safety inside themselves so they can better navigate this strange and sensational human experience. Your time to learn begins now. Hey, welcome, my friend. Thanks for being here with me. Mm, thanks for inviting me. I first want to do is to introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit about you. Oh, I get to introduce myself. Okay. Uh, my name is Yaya Erin Rivera Merriman. My name is Yaya Erin Rivera Merriman. And uh, 
I am a woman, a mother, uh, una artista, and I am the daughter of Migdalia Rodriguez and Rafaela Rivera y Rodriguez, Leonardo Rodriguez y Rosada is my great-grandmother, and my great-great-grandmother is Rosa Santiago Rosarde Rodriguez, and I'm really feeling into just the mother line and the lineage of the rose and being of mixed Afro-Caribbean and European descent uh, at this time in my life. See, mm. Just letting that wash over me a little bit. Those names, they're so delicious. Mm, thank you. Mm. You know, I we were talking a bit and I wanted to have you here because you and I were sharing this similar thing that happens in the body, um, trying to speak, you know, one of the languages of our ancestors, Spanish. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if you want to just start by diving in, like what, <laughs> Tell, I want to hear about your relationship to this language and what happens for you. Mm, well, I think I have to dial it back to just what happens for me when I express myself authentically. Um, in any of the languages, visual arts or movement. Um, I have kind of come up with a term that's um, just embodiment trauma, but I, that could mean so many things. But the way that I use it is at any time I try to embody as my actual self, I encounter what feels like an invisible electrical fence. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> Um, you know, it's actually been a huge blessing because, you know, um, I was born in North America and North America is filled with these invisible electrical fences and these landmines, these energetic landmines. But, uh, you know, maybe part of that early training was to like sniff them out from a distance. And that has become almost like a way of finding places that are wild and free and just navigating along those tendrils. Uh, and that's how I found an ability to express myself, not in like fortifying my weak third chakra and, you know, feeling shaky and, and trembling as I'm being, you know, insulted and measured on a yardstick that has nothing to do with me, uh, but just by being like, whatever. I don't like it over here anyway. I like the green stuff over there. Uh, and there's, I have no trouble expressing myself in the woods, uh, in the presence of nature. And so uh, that's kind of helped me to find my voice or find some strength in my physical body for the times when I have to speak in front of others who are judging me, uh, which is a lot of people, um, which I think is a big part of the mixed experience is people don't realize that they're judging you or projecting onto you, but they're viewing you through, you know, their experience um, incorrectly. So uh, as a light-skinned person, I feel a lot of people make a lot of assumptions about me and it's, I've felt most of my life, um, people, unless I make a huge deal about being Puerto Rican, people will not assume that that's there, will not see it, will um, laugh at me and roll their eyes if I, um, you know, express 
parts of my childhood or um, things that are important to me. Um, so uh, particularly around uh, dance movement mm -hmm. and speaking Spanish, those forms of expression have just, I think I was able to determine really early on, it was not safe for me to express that way in Connecticut and in my, um, you know, the first majority white space that I encountered was my family. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so I think I noticed that, um, you know, being a baby and being in my mother's womb and hearing the vibrations of Spanglish and the way she spoke with her sisters and her family, and then coming out and seeing, oh, that only happens in this one space. But in no, wait, what was other... the space? What was the space where it happened? My, my grandmother's house. Thank you for Got asking. It. Yeah. And which we spent a lot of time in. Um, but it was obvious, like, this is, you know, some special family thing. But out there, we have to do our best. I watched all of my aunts and my grandparents doing their best to speak as much English as possible and with as much of, of um, you know, to suppress the, their accents as much as possible. And, you know, just, you know, learning to read classics of American literature and all of these things to just try to, to pass, I think. Um, and I think there was genuine curiosity and just wanting to grow and, and um, learn, but a big part of it was, was wanting to be safe. And so my belief is that I absorbed early on and deep in my nervous system, that if I actually needed to get my needs met, that I needed to speak English, and that that speaking Spanish was was for kicking it, for relaxing, mm -hmm. uh, and just being. Um, and then on top of that, I think I, I made a lot of assumptions that to learn Spanish, I would have to learn every word that I I learned I knew in English in Spanish. And I found this incredible relief in, especially in psilocybin journeys where I find myself just speaking in Spanish to all the rocks and trees and the elements. And it comes out very, very naturally, more naturally than English, but there just aren't a lot of words. And the more that I study uh, with my Arawak teachers, the more that I learned that there were not as many words. Mm -hmm. in, the, in the language and it was much more um you might say a few words but the context was all given by body language and, and pointing and gesturing and just knowing and psychic reading of things and that oh made so much sense to me so um i know, feel that often, no, I feel, no no i feel i feel that same relief i agree with that there's this um I find one thing I love about going to Puerto Rico is how simple my mind goes because I mm. don't have as I don't have access to as many words. Mm. So my speaking is so simple, mm. you know, to everyone there and they speak so kindly and simple back to me. Mm -hmm. but it, it's like it's like a wash over my body where I'm less intellectual and I'm much more somatic. Mm -hmm. Right? Because I'm feeling the words but it's not so mental because it's not as conditioned as English is in my system. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, when you wrote me about when we were writing back and forth and you were saying this piece, which you kind of, you kind of just said about when I'm, I think you said to me when I'm speaking to God, when I'm speaking to rocks, when I'm speaking to trees, it just flows out of me. And when I'm in front of a person, there's this, this shock that comes in, like this electric fence you talk about. 
I love um I love playing with that through the lens of the intergenerational wisdom, which is the trauma as well. They're both there. From what you just said about how there's an overcoupling with native language and dot 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 dot, whether it's threat, whether it's loss of job, whether it's you know racism, whatever it is. And I know in my family, my grandfather couldn't assimilate because he was so presenting. He was darker skinned, super thick Spanish accent, like he could not pass. Mm -hmm. So he made sure all of us would pass. Yeah. And yeah. where, how did that, how was that in your family? What would that, did that look similar or different? Very similar. Um, you know, all of my, my mom, my aunts, my grandparents, they were all born on the island and they moved here when my mom was six. And so it's hard for me, but I often think about like, imagine being a six-year-old and she was even raised more by her grandparents on the island because she had some asthma symptoms. And so, and the part of the island where uh, her grandparents lived uh, was made her less symptomatic. So she was raised in like an even um, the previous generation's way. And then they suddenly are transplanted to Connecticut in the middle of the winter. The picture of them getting off the airplane, they're wearing like sundresses and, you know, like little cotton socks in the mm -hmm. snow. And being here at six years old, not speaking the language and not having parents who spoke the language at all to guide you through the school system, mm -hmm. through social dynamics, it just breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. uh, Where do you feel it? Where do you feel it right now when you tell me about it? It feels like in my face, it feels like all the muscles in my eyes just want, like I want to shut my eyes and I want, I want mm. to cry and like shut it out with my eyes. Yeah. Can we take a moment there together? Sure. So I think yes. that's like a profound thing your body's showing us. When we talk about, um, you said embodiment trauma earlier. I think that's really powerful. Embodiment trauma, especially with this reaction in the face. Because to, with using your words, when you embody something that feels very authentic, very real, it's like a deep part of you. And that also means by embodying it, you're expressing it usually. And so when there's other relations, human relations, we'll say in this case, and they're seeing that you know, the social engagement system is the face. So for this like shutdown squinching to be coming up when you think of your mom and what she went through, mm. that's what I mean about the ancestors speaking through our bodies. Mm. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of, of the dynamics that I think about around being mixed in Connecticut, I feel them in my face and in my throat. And so this sense of like, if I can shut my, my, eyes and, and my face and my throat, this like engagement portal, then I can like shut out this world and, mm. you know, what mm. it is, the feedback it's giving me that doesn't feel right, doesn't feel good. So that's, again, that's another important somatic expression you're speaking to, like when you said, I can shut out this world. I mean, the body is this really interesting creature. And so <laughs> the, the, this like face area, there's so many openings, like there's eyes, nose, lips, ears, you know, to crown all these places to shut all that out, you know, literally would make quite a boundary against mm -hmm. things coming in and permeating. Mm -hmm. And where does that go when I say that to you around this? Oh, it just makes me laugh at like, you know, I, 
you maybe remember, but maybe not, I had the most epic resting bitch face of all time. (laughs) (laughs) I remember. I remember well. (laughs) You know, like when I'm comfortable and I'm not performing, being present or being engaged, I do still have, you know, uh, resting bruja face, but it's different. It's very relaxed and my body's very relaxed, but I, my face and my, my muscles, I were, I wore them like an armor and I had a lot of chronic pain as a result of the tension that that created. I, I think it's just, again, this is what I wanted to do here, just kind of explore this as it emerges, because it's um, intergenerational trauma and and stories, right? They get passed down through the body, not even through individual experience, though you also experience things, but they get passed down through gestures. And mm. I find that to be one of the coolest things about, you know, it always sounds weird when I say coolest things about trauma, but I'm just like, <laughs> you know. That's what I, I like knew. about you. You're not afraid to like worship trauma. I'm not. It's <laughs> brave. Not. Yeah. And so it's it really, it really moves me to see how the gestures are like these interesting expressions that show us our ancestors. Do you do you have um memory of any of your tias or your mama or anybody that had that? with their face oh yes like i i can look at my altar right now and see the the frown of my as far back as my great 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 grandmother i think like just this this deep frown that you know can come on so strong uh, over me it's just Mm -hmm. like i am not impressed by what's going on here I mean, there's a there's a, it's interesting. There's a gift to that because there's a capacity for honesty. <laughs> you know, there's not a fawning <laughs> mechanism, and then there's also there's the shield of it. And I wonder where does it go from being this true expression to a form of protection? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very subtle. You know, it's like yeah. anything. I could be like, I love you, or I could be like, love you. Yeah. And like. Yeah. It's it's all in the experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just I'm just enamored by it. You know, I, I'm also enamored by the medicine of being mixed. I just can't I can't get enough of it whenever mm-hmm. I meet somebody. We just no matter what they're mixed with, we always connect over mm-hmm. this. Right. And I, I think it's um it's interesting that you've been met with such adversity you know, to your, to your expressions and your, your cultural mixing within your body um, from other people. I I don't know what that's about, because I never, I haven't experienced that myself. Do you have any insight? Mm. I mean, I, I, I have no idea in the sense of, you know, I could just speculate wildly that maybe we've experienced you know, we are in a patriarchy and you are male presenting. So we may have experienced really different things. Um, And, you know, people can listen to you on my podcast if they want to hear more about, you know, what you have experienced in your own, like, you know, identity and expression. Um, But that's like one thing I would look to is um, that the work that I do is primarily with women 
And I don't typically approach it through um, a racialized lens. I typically approach it through the, the, the place where we have all experienced um, diminishment under patriarchy and what uh, just, I feel I know that journey. I feel I know that path. Um, and that that it's a path that I, I've walked back and forth along for many reasons. You know, um, I love people and I, I will go back for soulmates. I don't believe in that ascension thing that's like, oh, you know, I must only relate with people that are at my exact same vibration at all times. It's just like I have family that's working their way along the evolutionary spectrum at different rates. But if I find something, I will go back for you. Uh, and so maybe that's, yeah, maybe that's it. Um, you know, I think also I was, I was very sensitive emotionally. So, you know, if, if you can take a magic wand and just erase that child, the physical pain or the like being sick a lot and then being thought of as sickly and needy, like if I could just erase that whole thing, then I have what's underneath that is a lot of memories of like, just loving everyone. And I think that's part of my family medicine is like, cause I've, I've seen it in reading my nieces, like especially uh, one of my nieces that I've just like seen her be like, her purpose is to love everyone. And that's like, <laughs> seems very difficult. Uh, but I, I feel that applied to, and applies to me as well. And that there was like an innocence even for being five when you're like of course there was an innocence but it was like like a naivete or something where just if someone was there then of course they were meant to be my best friend forever um and then I, I remember going over someone's house and like you know I wanted a snack or something and and they were like okay well you have to like give me something and the only thing I had was like a photo the yearbook photo of my babysitter that like was really precious to me and she like wanted me to like give that to her so I could like have some food or whatever and she told me that day I'm gonna tell you how to be popular if someone says like if someone asks you for an orange soda then like you know like tell them okay like trade them something for it but then like don't give them the thing like don't bring it the next day or whatever this isn't like second grade <laughs> You know, and I just, I thought that person was so cool. And then I went over to their house and we had this exchange and I was like, I don't understand. I don't like how I feel right now, but this is how you have friends. And, you know, my parents would drop me off at their houses and, um, and I would have, I would make up excuses for like why I didn't want to go the next weekend when they invited me to come back. And just because I didn't know how to like express that. I was like, this isn't right. This isn't good. This is not good for me. <laughs> well, it's like it's you're giving us more. And by the way, I, I just appreciate how generous you're being with your experiences, because you're, you're teaching us so much about relational trauma, you know, through your own past experiences. And so there's this intergenerational piece, there's this literal pain in your body growing up without, you know, in isolation without a lot of friends. Then you have these few moments with friends where there's these kind of painful, strange experiences. And then we come to this thing called the embodiment trauma again, which is the capacity for being seen and connecting. Why I think this is so important for those listening is you do so much work that that requires you to be seen. You know, you hold space for people, you curate things, you run a <laughs> podcast. Like, um, 
I think the best I can say is is that in my heart, I truly believe because I experience all things as cyclical and all things having a rhythm and that that rhythm is not, I, I'm not the determiner of it. That's the God in me. So that when I look at my life, I see these rhythms of being like, oh, so open and just like wanting to touch and hug everyone. And then like having, tasting some things that were yucky and then like, you know, that, or that made me sick. So uh, I go through cycles. I think I'm grateful. I'm really grateful for the fact that like, my 30s and that time of like building the foundations of my life, you know, like getting my like partnership scene figured out. I did go through a divorce that was very difficult, but, you know, having my son and figuring out my housing and my offering that all of that happened in a time where I was just on fire. You know, I'm a quadruple Aries in my Western astrology. And I just was like, a raging bonfire that was like everyone come take a coal like that's mm -hmm. where the whole idea of like active culture family was so like i don't even care who if like you're active right now or you want to get activated and you're going to do something good for the culture and for the people like let me help you out like pay me a dollar pay me a thousand dollars let's fucking do this that's where i was at so did you did you experience burnout from being on fire or not what was that like um it took a long time like I took like, you know, three continuous years of offering uh, a very complex, immersive, like takes everything I got kind of creative offering um, where like there was like no break. It was like one group would end and the next group would come and we'd be together for a whole year and we would just have these uh, hugely immersive gatherings. Um, and, you know, I just felt like, okay, well, I guess this is the thing where it's like, it's super hard, but I really love it. And I feel like I've been given the chance to give my everything to something that I believe in and that, uh, you know, sometimes I'm even good at it. Uh, I, you know, I just was like, I'm in my spot. Uh, but then I did, I did start to get burnt out and I, it was like a, like a freight train. It was like this train needs to stop and like get refueled and get like mm -hmm. maintenance but i i don't see any brakes anywhere mm -hmm. and you know people started flinging themselves from the train you know who also were like i just this is a lot so you know 2020 was that was that just hard stop uh, and so yeah i i have been learning a lot about moderation, which I think is a huge thing that I'm here to learn. But mm -hmm, I spent the mm -hmm. last couple of years just like, you know, pretty deep regenerative place of like picking through all of those experiences with a fine tooth comb and saying that worked, that was good. That definitely ne didn't work, never again. Um, and just a big one is about like the time like I, I cannot design offerings that require like such a huge investment of my time personally or anyone's really I don't want to like hire someone else and then burn them out you know so where do you feel like you are right now in terms of like in 2020 there was that pause like what what are your regenerative practices how do you rekindle that fire tell me that process well well 
and I would like to, but I felt like it has a lot to do with just um, this, the natural cycles of things also where um, I turned 40 in 2020. And um, as much as you can say age is just a number or what have you, I have experienced um, a really major shift when I turned 30 that I wasn't expecting and a really major shift when I turned 40 again that I wasn't expecting. Cause I'm like, oh, that, that time scale is not relevant to me. Um, but there's, for me, there is something there in those decades um, uh, that I'm, I respect now. And my practicing the muscle of surrender <laughs> enabled me to become a land steward decades before when I thought I would be able to, because the, you know, the series of events that led up to it was just completely irrational and high risk and strange. <laughs> But it deposited me in a bowl of nature mm. where I just feel so much more stable and so much more in my body. I feel like I can take a deeper breath because the air is is more what air is supposed to be and smells like what I want planet Earth to smell like. Mm. And I don't want to be. I don't want to not be here. So, you know, I get a lot of opportunities to teach at festivals and I see other people having like a really great time teaching at festivals. <laughs> and every time I see that, I'm like, what am I doing wrong? What am I missing? Like, what's wrong with me? Like, I should be saying yes to more of these things, but it just like having something so good um, where, you know, I'm communing with the elements, I'm learning directly from nature just mm -hmm. by being here. Mm -hmm. It really helps me with my priorities, which is something like I have difficulty prioritizing because I do love life and people. And, you know, I want to live while I'm alive and all of that. So, um, well, when I ask you about the land there, um, I'm just trying to think because we have to close soon, but this piece sounds, feels important to me. You're saying about learning learning moderation how is this land that you're on teaching you that mm. well I, I think like again if i look out the window things move at a particular pace there are very strong winds that come through like 90 miles an hour that they're you know terrify some people but they're like a being that comes through mm -hmm. the land itself like just it moves at a very gentle kind of pace. And so if, if I'm not quiet, then, then I can't hear it, what it's saying. Mm -hmm. And so I'm in a place that just really invites me um, to prioritize so that I have free time to just you know take care of myself or rest or have hobbies because that was something that had gone away in my 30s it was like I didn't have friends I didn't have hobbies um all of my self-care was tied to my work you know I was able to take mm -hmm. care of myself because I was like teaching the practices while doing them mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and speaking of the practices or what you're doing now people listening like what what offering can they follow where can they find you mm. Well, you know, part of the simplification of the moderation of everything is just really, um, really trusting that it's okay to just have a few things and 
that, you know, I'm not going to be sharing all the time about different stuff that I'm going to be sharing like once or twice a year about our program, um, which is it's called Medicine Mandala. Um, it is a collaborative folk medicine apprenticeship and Greenwich initiation, which means that um, increasingly a lot of the actual skills um, are taught by other people uh, so that people can just um, have a really flavorful experience. Um, I get sick of myself, you know, I don't want to hear me talk for a year. Uh, and it culminates in a in-person initiatory rite. Um, and so that's really my, my big creative baby. Everything else could go away and I would feel like on purpose still if um, I was allowing that baby and that journey to just continue to shape shift. You know, I, I see our time on earth as the whole thing is an initiation from start to finish. And, you know, sometimes you need a party. Sometimes you need a, a quiz or a test that says I, I, I did the thing. And I, I, I'm someone who needs those things. And so I also seek them out for myself and seek to provide those kind of experiences of, you know, witnessing and uh, celebrating key moments and thresholds as they're crossed over and uh, a ceremonial moment that says, you did the thing, you are a woman of earth, you're here to protect the earth and serve the earth. You are that. Well, we're going to link your information in the show notes so anyone listening can click there and find you. Yeah. Thank you, love. Thank you for just exploring this with me and just teaching us about your experience. I appreciate it. Thank you for being curious. Feels good. So that's the end of today's episode. Notice where you feel the episode inside of your body. Those sensations, those expressions. That's how your body speaks to you. Sit with it. Be with it. And let whatever wants to come up, come up. Because all the wisdom you're looking for is right there in those sensations. If you want to go deeper into these practices or find more information about my work, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. I'll see you next time. Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give into mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving, as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events, and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.